Jonah chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then in Luke Chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and I will pray. Lord, help us to listen to you this morning, to listen to your word, um, to hear your voice, and would you grant us the grace of repentance like you granted the people of Nineveh, like you granted Jonah? Grant us the grace of repentance, grant us by your spirit Um, the willingness to hear your word and respond to it from our hearts, to trust you, to believe God. That's what we're asking for today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder, have you ever received bad news that turned out good? Bad news that turned out to be something good. I think we all have in one sense. A couple of, a couple of times that it happened to me, um, 
Many years ago now, I had a sleep medicine doctor tell me after a uh, sleep study, Mr. Davis, you have severe sleep apnea. If you don't use a CPAP machine at night, you will die. And she told me the story about Reggie White, who one night didn't wear his mask, and he died. Not only am I still alive, but now because of that mask, I sleep like a rock. It's like taking a sleeping pill to put that mask on my face. Not only do I sleep well, but Christine sleeps well too. (laughs) So because of a bit of bad news, hard news, I'm alive, and Christine sleeps better. When I was a high schooler, there was a time when, uh, though I knew I had been called to pastoral ministry when I was 10 years old at Calvary Church, um, when I came to know Jesus, I also sensed a call to pastoral ministry. I knew that, but there was a time in high school when I started to think, Uh, That's not going to help support me very well, so what else could I do? And one of my favorite people was my next-door neighbor and my dentist, Dr. Binkley. And um, so I did some work for Dr. Binkley at his office, and I started to talk to him about dentistry and things. And and I was really, I was reading magazine articles about these things. I thought, man, this is fascinating stuff. I'll be a dentist. And... uh, Dr. Binkley sat me down one day and he said, Jimmy, listen, you can't be a dentist. You know that tremor in your hand? He said these words, you're going to hurt someone. That was a bad news that saved me from missing God's call on my life. Hard to hear, it stung at the time, but God not only saved my life with some bad news, he also kept my life on course with some bad news. God loved Nineveh so much that he sent Jonah to tell them some bad news so that they could live and so that they would then live the life that they were created and called to live by God. Look, here's what I'm gaining from Jonah chapter 3. A couple of things. First, God loves sinners so much that he'll tell them bad news. God loves sinners so much that he will tell them something that is hard and frightening to hear. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And Jonah called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is bad news, Nineveh. God is not pleased. And in 40 days, you will be overthrown. Now, that's a very short message, but uh, we think that it was a summary of his message, not not the entire message. Um, But you'll remember in chapter 1, verse 1, God said, their evil has come up before me. 
who has the right to send somebody to tell people that their evil has come up before me and therefore they're going to be overthrown in 40 days? Who has the right to do that? God has the right to do that. He's the one to whom all people are responsible. Paul said, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You know, okay, the the Assyrians, they're sweet folks over there. Nineveh, why don't we just leave them alone? No. The Assyrians worshipped multiple gods, including, interestingly enough, storm gods. They worshipped earth, sky, and sea gods. They worshipped fertility gods. Dozens of gods these folks worshipped. But there's only one true God who rules the storm. There's only one true God who rules the earth and the sky and the sea. And there's only one true God who can make the land and people fruitful. They were worshiping the wrong God. And not only that, these folks were viciously violent people. You know, archaeologists have found uh, that in the palaces of the king, uh, the entryway that guests would come into. So imagine the front hallway of your house, the foyer. Uh, People come in. This was the entranceway that guests would come into the palace. And on the walls were grotesque, graphic depictions, carvings of people being impaled on poles. Welcome to our house, the king says. This is what we do to our enemies. These people were were bad news. They were not loving God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and they were not loving their neighbors as themselves, as they were created to. They had to face God's judgment. That's the bad news he had for them. But there's more. I agree with the commentators who argue that this short message of his was a summary of what he spoke to the Ninevites. But I trust Jesus' interpretation even more. Jesus said that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. Jonah's words were a warning of God's judgment, but he himself was a sign of God's willingness to forgive. How is that? Well, What had Jonah just experienced? In his rebellion, Jonah was tossed into the storm of judgment, into the sea of judgment. And in God's grace, God rescued this rebellion servant of his, pulled him up out of death and destruction and judgment, and gave him a new life. So Jonah's own story was a testimony that God is waiting and longing to forgive Sinners who will repent. That's just the kind of God he is. Jonah knew from experience that the bad news says you're worse, than you're, you're worse than you think. And Jonah knows from experience that the good news says, but wait, God's grace is greater than you could ever imagine. And so how did the Ninevites respond to this bad news and good news? Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. 
when God told them the truth about their relationship with him, they trusted him. The, this is a, a little Hebrew idiom that uh, doesn't just mean that they believe what God said. It means that they trusted a person. They trusted God himself. They trusted not only what he had to say about who they were, they trusted who he was in his promise to rescue them. So this bad news of impending judgment stirred in them a desire to be in right relationship with God. I've used this illustration before, but John Piper talks about uh, one time, not one time, but many times being uh, in trouble with his wife where he had said something that was hurtful to her and uh, she showed her uh, dissatisfaction with his words by standing at the kitchen sink, manifestly the cold shoulder, washing the dishes, and he's clearly separated from her, uh, not only physically, but by her uh, attitude toward him. And he said, at that point, what is the point of asking for forgiveness, of repenting to her and asking for her forgiveness? It's not just to be forgiven so that, you know, I, I don't ask for forgiveness. Honey, I'm so sorry for what I said. Please forgive me. It was so hurtful and wrong. And she forgives me, and then I say, okay, see ya. I'm going to go play golf. No, that's not the point of forgiveness is not just to be forgiven. Piper says, the point of forgiveness is to get the hug, to be welcomed back into the embrace. This is, this is the point of repentance. There's an embrace on the other side of Repentance. There's joy on the other side of repentance. They wanted to be in right relationship with God, and God wants them to be in right relationship with him. He desires it too. And so he will call out against them because he wants to be with them. Repentance is a gift of grace because it's through repentance that we get God, not just forgiveness. And so then what did it look like for the Ninevites to trust God when he told them the truth about their relationship with him? It was, it was a repentant faith, a repentant trust in him. And so the rest of the chapter describes what this looked like. First, they humbled themselves before God and they grieved for their sin. Verses 5 and 6, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was this rough... It, Maybe it would be kind of like a burlap sack to us today. It was this rough, cheap, um, made out of hairs uh, clothing that was meant for the poor uh, and for mourners. They would put this on when they were in a season of mourning. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. These are all signs of grieving. And then he made the proclamation, everyone else should do this. Every man and beast should not feed or drink water, and they should all be covered with sackcloth. See, repentant faith looks like humbling yourself before God and grieving over what has broken his heart. Does it break your heart when you break God's? 
And then repentant faith looks like turning to God. In verse 8, it says, let them call out mightily to God. So rather than running from God, it's running to him as the refuge. They turn to him. And in And in turning to God, they turned from evil. Verse 8 continues, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from from the violence that is in his hands. So you can't turn to something without turning from something. Turning to God has to include turning from the things that God hates. In turning to God, they left behind the evil in their hearts and the violence in their hands. And now God holds the reins of their hearts and their hands. The direction of their lives is now toward God, not away from Him. There's a shift. Repentant faith turns to God away from that which grieves God. And then repentant, hope, uh, repentant faith hopes beyond hope that God is a forgiving God. Listen to what the king said. He said in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish underneath all of that humility and grief and turning to God and turning away from sin is this hope that God would rescue, that God would turn and forgive. And then what does he do? Verse 10, God saw, that, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way And God relented. And the word is literally God turned. Relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah 3 tells us the good news that God can't resist repentant sinners. He just can't resist them. He turns toward them and away from the disaster that he had planned for them. Psalm 51, David said, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. So then what does God delight in? What does please God? He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, that's repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Jack Miller said, the Lord cannot resist the broken heart which has experienced true repentance. He will not, he cannot stay away from repentant sinners. That's the hope on the other side of repentance. That's the joy that awaits us on the other side of repentance. And so I wonder, why was this detailed description of the repentant faith of Israel's enemies recorded in a book that was meant for the people of Israel. This is strange. This is, why did God go through all this trouble to record what it looked like for God's enemies to repent and trust him? It's because God is using the repentant faith of Nineveh to call his own people to repentant faith in him. He called Jonah to it. He called Nineveh to it, and Jonah now tells the story to all of God's people. God is a God who longs for you to come to him in repentant faith, and he will turn to you if you will turn to him. 
God loves people so much, his people so much, that he will tell them bad news that stirs their hearts to repentant trust in him so that they'll live. And he seeks the same response from his people that he received from their enemies. God says, we read it already this morning in 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is the response he seeks from his people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, that's what the Ninevites did. And pray, that's what the Ninevites did. And seek my face, that's what they did. And turn from their wicked ways, that's what they did. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. God wants his people to have that same response. And this morning, Jesus is calling out to us. He's calling out to us through Jonah's story this morning. This generation, he says, is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man, Jesus, be to this generation, he said. Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites of one whom God called out against so that he could rescue him by grace. But Jonah deserved the judgment he received. He did not deserve the rescue. But now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is a sign to you and me of a man who was without sin, who never rebelled against God, and yet God called out against him in our place for our sin. And Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath for our sin. He went down into the grave to the depths of judgment in our place But God rescued and restored Jesus on the third day when he raised him from the tomb. God has sent that Jesus to be our Jonah. To call out against our sin while at the same time offering us the hope that he took God's wrath for us and rose again from the dead so that we could live and we could live as God called and created us to live. There's Jesus on the other side of repentance. (laughs) So I I just would like to take a few minutes and give us the opportunity to respond to God this morning. So I'm going to ask that you will just, whether you want to close your eyes, I'm not going to do the whole, everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to, fine. But this is... This last couple of minutes is just a time for silent prayer. This is you and your God, the God who loves you and waits for you on the other side of repentance. And and I just want you to pray a couple of things. First, pray something like this. God, what do you want to say to me about the way I've been living? It may be bad news, but I want to hear it because I want to live. And then, right now in silent prayer, humble yourself before God and grieve whatever he exposes in you. I'll just wait for a moment in silence and let you ask God 
What do you want to say to me about the way I've been living? What does God want to say to you about your heart toward him or your heart toward other people? Do you want his forgiveness or do you want him? Tell it. Cry out to him from your heart and say, God, I, I want to I turn away from, from that that you have exposed in me. I, I don't want it. I want you. Cry out to him. Turn to him. Call for him. Seek his face.
now remember. Remember that God sent Jesus to take away the wrath for your sin. He put it on Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead to rescue you because raising Jesus from the dead means it's paid in full. So say to God, I believe that. I trust that. I believe you. I believe what you say about me that's hard. And I believe this good news too. That that Jesus has absorbed all of my rebellion. Even these latest things you've exposed in me. I desperately need him. And I desperately want you. Father, hear our prayers. Forgive us for being allergic to repentance. Forgive us for not being willing to sit and let you Tell us, either by your word or by your spirit or by a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, some bad news about us. (laughs) Help us to be so convinced of the sign of Jesus that he took every sin of ours all the way down into the depths of judgment for us in our place and you raised him to life as the grave spit him out and we're forgiven and so we we of all people should be willing to confess what you expose in us Because it won't kill us. (laughs) It killed Jesus and he's alive. And we're alive in him. Thanks be to God, Father. Thank you so much. And we thank you for this table that reminds us every week that we of all people, because of God's great love and grace, should be the first to repent. Christ's name I pray. Amen.